0: I want to say good morning and welcome to all of our locations right now, our Banta campus, our Franklin campus, our Garfield Park campus, our online campus, and those of you watching at the Theodore House and the Johnson County Work Release and everyone here at Greenwood, welcome everyone. (laughs) We are in a series right now called Ground Rules. If this is your first time here, if you're new here, it actually started last week. If you're brand new, we usually teach in about four-week series where we can focus in on a specific topic. And this month's focus is on relationships because it is Valentine's Day in February and there's a little romance in the air. How many of you have already made your Valentine's Day plans, guys? Guys? All right. All right. Some of us need to get in gear. Okay. Myself included, haven't yet made those plans. Um, but yeah, this isn't just a romance uh, series. This isn't just for those of us who are dating and engaged and married and divorced and wanting to be married again. This is for everyone because all of us are human and all of us are in relationships. Your relationship may be with best friends, co-workers, teammates, teachers, parents, We all have relationships. And so what I've been sharing in this series so far are just some principles, some ground rules that really help us have some successful relationships. Now, last week I mentioned football and growing up playing football and how there are ground rules that were important for the game to be successful. I wanna talk to you today a little bit about this game called Catan. Anybody ever know, uh, hear of this game? About a year ago or so, my family discovered this board game. and Honestly, the first time that we played it, it was a bit frustrating because we were learning the rules on the fly, and I didn't really understand the importance of the, the position that you need to have on the board according to the right numbers that get rolled a lot. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you can really get messed up if you don't get that right, um, and you know, I, I didn't really understand, like, what resources you needed to buy in order to build a road or a city or a settlement, so that was frustrating. I didn't understand the, the, the importance of not of getting rid of your cards so that when someone Roll a seven they don't take half your cards and I understand that most of us have no idea what I'm talking about right now but that's okay Uh, those are some of the rules in Catan but after we got used to playing it the second time the third time it became really fun because we understood the ground rules but even then no matter how hard I tried my wife always kicks our butt and so uh, she wins that game but I don't know maybe it's a woman thing I'm not sure But in the same way that it's important to understand the rules in order to enjoy the game, we need to understand the rules or the ground rules when it comes to relationships so that we can enjoy our relationships and so that our relationships can be fulfilling and satisfying and God-honoring and really bring joy to our life. And so last week we talked about the first ground rule and that is to be the right person. If we want to have the right person in our life or attract the right person to our life or find the right person if we're single, we need to be the right person. And if we want to fix the marriage problems that we have or the relationship issues that we have, whatever they are, we need to be the right person. Work on the tree and as we work on the tree, the tree will bear good fruit and that will be a blessing to the people in our life. If you missed that last week, check it out on our YouTube channel. I think you'll really enjoy it. Today, today. Ground rule number two. Before I give it to you, I want to quote a guy named Rick Warren. He is famous because he wrote the book called Purpose Driven Life, which is a, like incredible bestseller. This is what Rick Warren said about forgiveness and marriage. A great marriage is the union of two great... Forgivers. Now, our culture would tell us, no, 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 a great relationship, a great marriage is made up of two great lovers because we are a sex-focused culture. Everything is focused on how good you look and sex and all of that stuff. But Rick Warren says, no, it's not that. And all of us who are married will say amen to this because we know that marriage is far more than sexual relationship and there's so much more to it we hurt the people closest to us the most isn't that true sometimes i think that you know two people who are married and again this isn't about marriage but you can't have a close friendship the closer you get to somebody, the more we're like porcupines. We, we poke each other. It's like we want to be close to each other. But the closer we are, the more we hurt each other inside the context of any close relationship. There are offenses. There are hurts. People get impatient. People get selfish. They fail to prioritize. They say hurtful things. They do hurtful things. Am I, am I, am I making sense? Is this true in your relationships? Jack and I have now been married for 20 years. And she seems to be the person that I hurt the most often or, the, or, or most deeply. And so the need for forgiveness is absolutely essential. The Bible tells us with extreme clarity, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, make allowance for each other's idiosyncrasies and, and, and the weirdo- weirdnesses and faults. And then when you cross the line and actually do something wrong, we have to forgive anyone Who offends us? Forgiveness, we have to let go of the desire to get back and seek revenge. We have to let go of the debt. That's what forgiveness really is. And when we fail to forgive people in our life, whether it's a spouse or a best friend or a teacher or a coacher or a player or whatever it is, a friend or a a roommate, guess what? Bitterness and resentment grows up inside and it defiles that relationship. And that relationship is, is somewhat doomed if there is no grace if there's no forgiveness extended. So, I could say that ground rule number 2 is choose to forgive and let's pray and I'll go home. Jesus, thank you for, (laughs) no, we're not gonna do that today because I believe that there's more to it. I believe there's actually a ground rule that precedes forgiveness, comes before forgiveness, dare I say, makes forgiveness possible. Dare I say, make sure that the offense doesn't happen again in the future. Now, at this point, what I envision that everybody has their pen out and they're like, oh my gosh, tell me what ground rule number two is, please. Are you there? Are you there? Are you there? Okay, I'm gonna imagine it. All right, right. so grab your pen. Ground rule number two. I know you're waiting with bated breath. Here we go. You have to be responsible. We don't hear a lot about this today. We hear a lot of excuses today. We hear a lot of reasons today. We hear a lot of blame shifting today. It's not my fault. It's the other person's fault. Let Let me explain why I did this. Be responsible. How is... How is it that responsibility or taking responsibility precedes forgiveness or comes before forgiveness or even prevents the offense from continuing on in the future two ways two ways what does it mean to be responsible in your notes there first of all it means that you own what you did you own what you did. you just own it you say look i am selfish I'm the one, I said it, I was rude, I was obnoxious, I got angry, I acted like that, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Remember that old song? Not my mother, not my brother, not my sister, but me, oh Lord, standing in the need. Like, that's what responsible people do. Now, when I do some marriage counseling, I don't even call it counseling, I do it, I call it marriage coaching, I'm not a good counselor. Counselors listen well. Coaches tell you what to do. Okay, So I'm more of a coach, right? When I do some marriage coaching and I tell people what to do, they often buck me. And they say, well, I don't want to do that. Or I'll do that when she does it first. <laughs> or I'll take responsibility. Danny, I'll do what the Bible says, but, but he has to go first. <laughs> and we're so quick to point at the other person. I'm Listen, responsible people do not look at what the other person has to do. They're a mess. they got to do their own stuff, right? Responsible people say, what's my part? Where have I screwed up? What what part of this equation do I have to own and say, this is my deal, I'm the selfish one, I acted in pride, I was the manipulator, I I was the one who deceived, I was the one who lied? That's what responsible people do. Now, isn't it a lot easier to forgive somebody when they own what they did, yes or no? Man, this is one of my biggest struggles. You talk to my wife, she'll tell you. If I feel like you didn't own it, man, I hold back grace. I hold back. like Like, unless you come and say, look, I did it. I'm wrong and feel remorse. <laughs> there's not going to be ex- forgiveness extended. Now, that's not right. The Bible says we should forgive whether someone confesses their sin or not. <laughs> so I'm, not, I'm, I'm screwed up. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not right. That's just a struggle for me to forgive people if they don't fess up and say I own it dad I did this honey I did this and I was wrong and I shouldn't have said it I shouldn't have done it will you please forgive me you know he reached the hand out to the king right okay I give you know you know kiss you know on the head or whatever you know that's not right but here's what I'm willing to admit isn't it a lot easier to forgive somebody when they own their junk yes or no now we need to do it whether or not they own it or not, but isn't it a lot easier? Doesn't, doesn't taking ownership pave the way or make forgiveness easier? It actually does. And it works this way with God. Like God just doesn't give out blanket forgiveness to every single human being on earth. He doesn't. There's seven and a half billion of us. Now some of us would love for, to, to conceive a God that just forgives every single human being no matter what they do. And when, when everyone dies, they go to heaven when they die. That would be awesome it isn't that a god of love but no no that's 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 not that's a god that's that's not just can you imagine having a judge here in indianapolis or wherever you're watching and they just let everybody go whatever the charge is Yeah, no, you're free innocent you know no jail time we would we would vote a judge like that out of there as soon right god just doesn't give out forgiveness to everybody listen to what jesus said he said that the time is promised by god it has come at last he announced the kingdom of god is near you can be forgiven There's grace available. Like you can live with God right now. However, you must say it with me, repent. A little bit louder, repent. It's not just a free gift to everybody. You have to turn from your sins, repent of your sins and believe the good news. And if you do not repent, and repentance means to just turn around, to do a 180, to agree with God that I've been going the wrong direction, I've been doing things my own way, and I'm gonna turn, and I'm gonna turn into your kingdom and do things your way. Then and only then is a person forgiven of their sins. See, even when it comes to our relationship with God, We have to acknowledge it. We've got to own it. God, I am wrong. I've turned. I'm selfish. I do things my own way. And would you please forgive me? This is what happened with King David. Man after God's own heart. You know, he's on his rooftop one day. He sees Bathsheba. You know the story, right? First Samuel 11, he starts to lust after her. He calls her up. They 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 get it on and, and he commits adultery with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant, and it gets found out, you know, that, that 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 she's pregnant. So what does he do to cover up his sin? He 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 kills her husband Uriah. He becomes an adulterer. Then he moves to murder to cover his sin. This is a godly man, right? The Bible says. One year later, a prophet has to come to David and say, "Hey, you are the guilty one," and he's found out. Listen to what David says in Psalm fifty-one for I recognize my rebellion it haunts me day and night against you and you alone have I sinned I have done what is evil in your sight ownership owning what you did it is so critical that we just stop denying the fact that we were the wrong one now There's more to being responsible than taking ownership of what you've done. How many have ever been in a situation or heard of a situation where someone has owned what they did, but then two weeks later, they do it again? Yeah? In a relationship like that, doesn't it suck? Because you gave grace, and two weeks later, they're looking at the porn again. They got drunk again. They were mean-spirited and hard-hearted again, and you just got done with that, and here we are again two weeks later, and then two weeks later, and then three weeks later, and, and it's like, what do you do in a relationship like that? Like, you've given out grace, you've given out grace, and they keep repeating it. Like, listen, responsibility is much more than simply saying, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? There's a second level to responsibility, and that is committing to change. A responsible human being commits to say, I'm going to put a plan together so that it never happens again. I don't ever want to make you feel that way again. I don't want you to ever have to go through what I put you through again. And I am going to become a different person. That's what responsible people do. In fact, I wrote it like this in your notes. If you haven't committed to change, you haven't taken full responsibility of your life. You haven't stepped into adulthood yet. Jim Rohn used to say this. He used to say, the moment a person takes full responsibility of his or her life is the moment that person steps from childhood into adulthood. We did a whole series called Adulting. Anybody remember that series? I talked about taking responsibility for your life. I'm sorry that I did that. I was selfish. I was wrong. I was a manipulator. I lied. I cheated. I stole. I was unfaithful. And I am not only sorry for it, I am going to make sure it never happens again. That's what a responsible, pers- a responsible person does. Now, I know that there's folks here t- today that you say, okay, that's my heart, and, and I would love to do that. And, and I know that's what it takes to have a solid relationship because a relationship takes trust. And, 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 and in order for there to be trust, there has to be integrity. But, but what are the steps to change? I keep repeating myself. I have an addiction. I have a, a tendency to continue to drink or to, to continue to use foul language or to continue to hurt somebody, you know, with, with this poor behavior. What are the steps to change? Well, I'm so glad you asked because that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time today. There are four steps to change, four steps that responsible people take. Maybe you haven't heard them put this way before. But I'm sure if you have ever made a change in your life, you have followed some pattern like this. Four steps to change. This is what a responsible person does. And I'm telling you, the people who have taken responsibility for their part of the the wrong inside, inside relationships, these are the people that thrive in their relationships because there's lots of trust. And they have changed their lives. What's step number one? Step number one is the acknowledgement of the wrong done. It's owning it that's the first step it's saying i'm the person that did the wrong and i'm guilty and i'm sorry this is what again what king david did in psalm 32 he also wrote about it psalm 51 he wrote about it psalm 32 he wrote about it watch what he says then i acknowledged my sin to you and i did not cover up my iniquity i stopped lying to myself I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. There's something powerful about being honest. I could have said it this way step number one is being honest with yourself. I have a problem. I have a struggle, and I don't know how to figure it out. This is why Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 steps for AA, is so effective and has helped literally millions upon millions upon millions to overcome alcohol or other subtypes, some type of substance or addiction. Step number one in the 12-step program, some of you are familiar with this, says this. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. Step number one. You go to an AA meeting, what do you you have to do? You have to get honest. Hello, my name is Danny, and I am an alcoholic. Well, not really, but that's what I would have to say if I went to a meeting, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's vulnerable. Like that's saying I like this. My life has become unmanageable. This 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 substance, this alcohol, has 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 whipped my tail. I I I, I cannot handle it my, on my own. And as I did a little research into why step one is step one, here's what I found in the literature uh, for AA. They say that the reason that admission of personal powerlessness over alcohol, the reason why it's so important, is because it creates the inner condition of soul. That is, a, it is found a foundation, it's foundational for long-term sobriety. What does that mean? It means that when I come to a group and I admit that this alcohol has, has, you know, basically made my life unmanageable, I'm humbling myself. We don't like to do that. We don't like to admit to ourselves, let alone to a group of people, that we can't handle this. Humil- I could have said this, step one in the process of change is humility, admitting I have a, I've done this, I have a problem, I have, a, I have an issue with my anger, I, it's, I fly off the handle, I, I need help. Humility is this posture of soul that says, can you help me, God, can you help me, because I'm a mess. That's why step one is step one. Sometimes I, I think there's more church going on in an AA meeting than in actual church services. I heard a little, little low, low grumble there, from the crowd. Usually, oh yeah, that's true. Because a lot of times, what we do is we get all dressed up and come to church. Look sharp. Got, got my nice jeans on. Polished my shoes. Pastor Danny, <laughs> I'm at church, clean, fresh. Hogwash. I'm really a mess. Did you know that? Like, if I'm honest. There's things going on inside of me. It's like, man, what's that all about? Fear, jealousy, anger, over the silliest things. You know what's best for our congregations? for me to say something like, like this. Hello, my name is Pastor Danny. I'm your supposed leader, and, and I screw up every day. I need help. That's what happens in an AA meeting, and that's the truth. And, and the reason why I say things like that is because it helps, it puts me my soul in a posture of humility instead of arrogance. And now I can reach out to help from you, from God, and actually make the changes I need to make in my life so that I'm actually a good husband to my wife and my kids and, and you. Does that make sense? Step number one is honesty. It's admitting to yourself that you have a problem. What's step number two? Well, step number one puts us in the right mindset to take step number two, which is total surrender of our will to God. What are we talking about? We're talking about being a responsible person. A responsible person says, you know what? My will is all messed up. Inside of me, we've got a mind, we've got emotions, desires, and we also have this thing called a will. And the will from birth is messed up. Anybody have any kids? Anybody have multiple kids? (laughs) You know they come out with a twisted will. Do you remember your childhood? Are you willing to admit that your will right now as an adult is screwed up? We want the wrong things. Our will is twisted. And that's the product of Adam and Eve's first sin in the Garden of Eden. And so if I'm ever going to change, if you're ever going to change, we got to take this will, this twisted will that's inside of us, and we have to submit it or surrender it to the will of God so that our will will be aligned with his will so that we can go out and live righteously and love our neighbor as ourself and do what is best by other people and stop putting our own interests above, above other people's interests. And that's how we overcome anger or addictions or, or whatever, hatred in our hearts or jealousy or lust or whatever the issues are. We surrender our will to God's will. Listen, this is exactly how Jesus said we're to become a disciple, a follower of his. Luke 9.23, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must, watch this, give up your own way. That's very different from what our culture, our culture tells us today. Our culture says, hey, you be you. You go get yours. Come on. We are a me-focused, me-centered, you know, society. If that's what you want to do, you go be you. Jesus says, no, that's not the path to life. If you, want the, if you want to be my follower, my disciple, if you want abundant life, you have to give up your own way. You have to take your will and submit it to my will and take up your cross daily. So many Christians think that that word cross means to carry a burden in life. Oh, I've got this husband. He's just a burden. He's my cross. <laughs> I've got this boss at work. He's just so, he's just so demanding. He's my cross. I'm going to take up my boss. My boss is my cross. No, it's not what, that's not what that means. Okay, I'm not saying we don't have burdens in life, but that's not what the cross means. The cross, to take up your cross means to die to having your way, to take your will and surrender it to God's will so that our wills are aligned with his, so that our actions are in alignment with his actions and what he wants. Take up your cross daily and follow me. This is why Alcoholics Anonymous is so successful. Listen to step number four. It's like they took the words of Jesus and turned it into their own statement. Step number four of AA, step number three, sorry. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. No wonder this thing works. you know where they got that? They got that from the Bible. They said, how are we gonna help these people overcome alcohol? We've gotta teach them to take their will and surrender it to God's will. God, I'm not gonna do it my way. My way, when I get stressed out, I drink. My way is when I go out and socialize, I drink. I'm not gonna do it my way. I'm gonna give up my will and I'm gonna handle stress and do life your way. And I'm going to surrender my will to your will. That's the only way we change. Amen? Anybody else? This makes sense? Step number one, we got to get honest and admit. Step number two, we got to surrender our will to God's will. That leads us to step number three, which is to consistently engage with the right people and disengage with the wrong people. You and I are absolutely shaped by the people around us. For good or for bad. They shape our values, the way we think. We try to live up to the expectations of the people around us. We want their respect, whether for good or for bad. You are the average of the closest five people to you. That's what Jim Rohn said. We, we, just, we just become like those we surround ourselves with. Andy Stanley used to say it like this Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. The Apostle Paul wrote it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Don't be misled. Come on, don't be fooled. You are influenced by the people around you. Bad company corrupts good character. It's just the way it is. You get around the wrong people, they're going to mess you up on the inside. You're going to think like them, feel like them, act like them over time. Well, if this is the negative form of the truth, let's flip this around and talk about the positive form of the truth. If bad company corrupts good morals, watch this, good company corrects bad character. Like, it's the the exact opposite. It works the same way in the opposite direction, which is why a couple of years ago, I decided that I was going to have a group of about five or six guys around me, and I handpicked them. I went through my my list and said, who are the best five guys that I know, character-wise, moral-wise, you know, husbands, grandfathers, and I I called them up individually, and I said, we're going to be friends. Okay, it wasn't exactly like that, but I pretty much asked them to be in my life every other Friday. We're going to meet. We're going to talk about, you know, our faith, being husbands, you know, fathers, grandfathers, all that stuff. We're going to read. We're going to study together. We're going to read together. So every other Friday, you might see me at a coffee shop, 730 in the morning on my day off. I meet with these guys. Because good company corrects bad character. See that? And I'm willing to say there are things inside of me that are not right. There are things that I want that are not right. They're not in alignment with God. And I need to be around the right kind of people if I want to become the right kind of person. If I want my relationships to be whole and healthy. Is this making sense? Yes or no? This is what happened. This is the problem with Aaron Hernandez. They did a three-part special on Netflix. If you get a chance to watch it, just, just watch it. Type in Aaron Hernandez. Aaron Hernandez incredible story. He, he, he was a super football player in high school, upstate, upstate, uh, northeast area, Connecticut area. Could have went anywhere to play college football. And I know some of you right now are tuning me out because you're like, sports again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's not really a sports story. It is, but it's not. He ends up going to Florida, plays with Tim Tebow down at Florida, I think they almost won a national championship or, they, or something like that, but they were one of the best teams in the nation. Played two years at Florida. Gets drafted to the Patriots. This is a picture of Aaron here. I think he was like 22 there or something like that. So now he's making buku money. He's, he's on the Patriots. He, he's, he's friends with Tom Brady. At that time, Tim Tebow was also on the Patriots. He had this opportunity to make these incredible connections and friendships. And, and, and the, the story is complicated and there's lots of different issues with, with his life. But one of the biggest issues was he had these friends back home that he never disengaged from. He, he started to, after his father died, he started to hang out with this crew. They, they, they liked guns, they liked crime, they liked drugs. These, these I mean, basically, losers. Here's this guy making millions of dollars. He's playing for the Patriots. And on the weekends, when, when there's no practice and when there's no games, guess who he's going home to hang out with? His buddies from, from high school that are carrying guns and smoking dope. And well, it, it wasn't long, you know, and the story's complicated, that he, he became a murderer. He's killed people. Killed two guys in Boston, killed another guy right by his house probably guilty of another murder, but they never really caught him. He's the only NFL player to ever play a full season after having committed double homicide. In fact, after he killed the two dudes, he signed a $40 million contract with the Patriots. The story is complicated, but I tell you what, the, 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 one of the, the biggest factors was this group of friends that he had. In fact, some of his close family said, we wish that he would have gotten drafted by some team out west but he got drafted by the Patriots, which was right by his house, which was close to his friends. How important is it to have the right people around you? How important? How important is it to disengage from the wrong people? It could cost you your life. Right? Let me give you this fourth one. What are we talking about today? We're talking about being a responsible person. We're talking about admitting, being honest with ourselves, surrendering our will to God's will, getting around the right people, disengaging from the wrong people. Number four, you've got to feed your spirit. As a Christ follower, I know not all of us are Christ followers today, but as a Christ follower, you have received the Spirit of God into your life. We also have this thing called the sinful nature, which is still there. If we didn't have the sinful nature, we would never sin. We'd be perfect, but we do sin. We mess up even as Christ followers. Listen to the tension as Paul describes it in Galatians chapter 6. The sinful nature wants to do evil. Anybody recognize that? There's this thing inside of us that's pulled to the left, to the wrong which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature wants. These two forces, watch this, are, say it with me, constantly fighting. Do you feel that tension inside of you? It's like the old cartoons. We used to have the little devil on this side and the angel on this side. You remember that? I mean, that's not far from the truth. You know, the the sinful nature is wanting to do wrong and the spirit's wanting to do right and there's this, this, this battle inside so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Let me ask you a question today. Which one will win, the spirit or the sinful nature? And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, well, that depends on which one you feed the most. If you feed the sinful nature, it grows and grows and grows and grows and it wants more and more and more and more and it dominates your life. And even as a Christ follower, you can be completely dominated by sin. And some of you are like, man, that's my life. It's because you feed the sinful nature. On the other hand, you can feed the, 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 the spirit in your life and it grows and grows and grows and becomes the dominant force in your life and you learn to obey him and he leads you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake and you start to change and become this brand new person. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter six. For the one who sows to the flesh or the one who feeds the sinful nature will, will reap from the sinful nature corruption, decay, death, broken relationships. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap what? Eternal life. Not heaven when you die. Yes, heaven when you die. But also abundant, joyful, strong, fulfilled, satisfied living right now. I'm so glad that when I was a young Christ follower, someone grabbed me and pulled me aside and said, if you want to become a different person, a brand new person in Christ, you have to feed the Spirit. I said, well, what does that mean? You know, well, you have to get scripture in your mind every single day. You've got to get some prayer time in. You've got to get some silence and solitude in. You've got to get some worship in. You've got to get around the right people. You've got to read great books. Feed the spirit, feed the spirit, feed the spirit, feed the spirit. Starve the flesh. Starve the flesh. Practice abstinence. Get the flesh out of your life. Don't feed it. If you feed it, it'll grow. Feed the spirit, feed the spirit, feed the spirit, feed the spirit. And so I've been doing that for 20-some years. Starving my flesh, feeding the spirit. And over time, you start to become a different person, the kind of person that does not continue to hurt the loved ones in your life. Does that make sense? You see, being responsible is not just about owning what you did. It's also about owning the process of changing and becoming a person who will never do it again, will never cheat again, will never steal again, will never be unfaithful again, will never punch again, will never hit again. Well, how do you do that you got to change you got to become a different person you got to feed your spirit listen to what paul said in galatians chapter 5 so i say let the holy spirit guide your lives give him total control of your life then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves can i get any clearer than that can paul get any clearer than that like if you don't want to do what the sinful nature craves then don't feed it Give you an example. Just recently, we were watching the Super Bowl. And I knew J-Lo was doing the halftime show. I had seen a tweet about it. And I said, this is going to be raunchy. She's, she may not have any clothes on. I knew it. So there, we're watching the Super Bowl I'm with my son, my wife, my daughter. Halftime comes on. I was like, turn the channel. You know, I think there was a, a lady that performed before her. I think we watched that one because it was some, somewhat modest. But then J-Lo was coming on. I was like, Psst. We zapped it, turned it off. We changed the channel. I said, oh, are you saying you're holier than us? No, I'm not holier than you. I just have a sinful nature. So if I watch JLo, you know, swing around on poles without any clothes on and grab her private parts, because that's what I heard she did. I didn't see it because, as I said, I changed the channel. But I heard about it. If I watch JLo do that, just speaking completely 100% honest, my sinful nature is gonna say, "Hey, what's that? She's attractive." I want to see her do that again. I want to see more of that. And then you got the sinful nature going, and you feed it, and it wants more, and it wants more, and all of a sudden you're on a porn site, and all of a sudden you're doing, and you lose your marriage over the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, it doesn't, like, this isn't that hard to figure out. So, so you have to, like, starve your flesh, your eyes, turn it off, and then feed your spirit, is that making sense? Please, I'm not judging. I'm not saying anything about people being bad people. I'm just saying as far as I'm, I can't control what others do. You can't control what other people do. But you have to, you have to feed your spirit or, or, and starve your flesh if you want to become a different person. That's what responsible people do. Yes or no? Yes or no? My question. My question as I wrap up. Have you done it? Have you gotten to the point where you're honest with the, your spouse, your friends, the people you're in relationship with? I, I, I'm the problem. Like, I'm, I'm going to stop pointing at you. I'm going to point at myself because I can't handle you. I can't fix your stuff, but I can work on my stuff. And, and I'm, I'm going to own it. And I'm also going to begin taking this four-step process to change. Have you, have you taken responsibility? If you haven't committed to change, you haven't taken total responsibility of your life. Here's my heart for you. Please, please hear it. Please hear it. It's my heart. I think this is God's heart for you as well. It's for you to become. You to become. The person that he created you to be. And when you become the person he created you to be, the relationship stuff gets worked out. Does that make sense? When the tree is good, it'll bear the fruit. Whatever fruit is needed to fix that relationship or to make that relationship good. Be Responsible. Now, as I wrap up today, I mentioned what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15 a few moments ago. Let's look at it again. Jesus said, The time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Turn from your sins. Believe in the good news. Some of you have not done that yet. Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on a cross to wipe away the barrier between you and God. But just because he did that doesn't mean that everyone gets forgiveness. Forgiveness is available to everybody. Anyone can have it. But you have to own your waywardness and say, God, I... I've been wrong I've been going at this thing selfishly and like kind of like a narcissist like it's all life is all about me and doing my way I am going to give up my way of doing things I'm gonna repent I'm gonna do a 180 I'm gonna turn into your kingdom and I'm gonna do everything the way you say and perfectly but my heart is to do it the way you say Jesus I believe you died on the cross for my sins come into my life wash me cleanse me and that is how a person receives the forgiveness of their sins have you done that yet Here's a better question. Have you taken responsibility of your soul? Its final destination, its current condition. The way you do that is by owning your sin and repenting and turning into the kingdom of God. I'm gonna say a simple prayer of faith. It's your time, if you haven't already done so, to take responsibility of your soul. Hand it over to God. Ask him to wash you and cleanse you and make you a brand new person. If this is your moment, take these words I'm about to share, it's not really the words. It's the faith behind the words. Express them to God. Step into his kingdom today and become his child. Will you pray with me? Dear God, I turn today. I turn to you. I turn away from my sin. I repent. I put my trust in in you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross to wash away my sin, to cleanse me, to forgive me. So I turn to you today. I believe, I trust. I step into your way of doing things, not mine. I say, not my will, but your will be done. Fill my heart with your spirit. Help me to feed that spirit so that your desires become my desires. Your will becomes my will. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's give Him glory, all of our locations. If you prayed that prayer, we would love to hear from you. If you'd just grab your phone real quick and text the word SAVE to 65248. If you put your faith in Christ today, if you repented, we would love to put a gift in your hands today. It's sort of a little shoebox, no shoes in it, but just a Bible, a reading plan, and some next steps on how to help you walk in your faith. And there's also a special cup in here as well. Can we give God glory one more time? Amen.